If you've got your Bibles, go to Joshua chapter 24. That's where we're going to park today uh, on the front end of this new year, uh, looking at a significant moment in the life of Israel. And as I walk us through that moment, uh, as I get to the end of that, I'm going to explain what all this is about up here. Uh, because this is going to be a moment for us as a life, of, life as a church. Uh, we've all had those moments in life that were uh, one of those, you know, those impact moments where you remember where you were and, and what, uh, what happened. Uh, it was, maybe it was good news, maybe it was sad news. Uh, we, we have those moments as individuals, we have those moments uh, as a nation, and especially the traumatic ones. You, you, you say things like 9-11, you know where you were when you heard about it. Uh, for, for others, it's you know, when, the, when the space shuttle Challenger disintegrated after the launch. Um, you knew where you were when you heard that news. Some of you have been around long enough. You remember the news of President Kennedy being assassinated. Um, you, you knew where you were when you heard that news. Uh, there, there, there's these places where those, those moments take place that are just are, they're life-changing. And, and, and even going there brings back memories of what happened. And we have those places, sacred places, in our journeying with God. Maybe it's a, a, a place where you, you bowed the knee and gave your life to Christ. Maybe it was your baptism. Maybe it was a, a significant moment of an encounter with God or a recommitment. Whatever, whatever it was, it was significant, so significant for you that even as I'm talking, you can picture in your mind where, where it was, what was going on, and what happened. And I want to take you to one of those sacred places in the life of Israel, and it's found in Joshua chapter 24. And you're going to need your Bible this morning, so uh, if, you, if you don't have one, there's a one in the P-Rack in front of you. It's on page 384, is, is chapter 24. And I want to look at this sacred moment in the life of Israel in a sacred place called Shechem. Now Shechem is a village... Uh, it's, it's a hamlet that is, is a sacred place for a lot, of, a lot of folks. In fact, it began with Abraham. If you remember Abraham, he's called out of, uh, of Ur. He leaves his land because God is leading him and going to take him to a new land. And when he comes to the new land, the land of Canaan, when, they, when he gets there, the first place he comes to is Shechem. Genesis chapter 12 tells the story. God makes promises to Abraham, and Abraham, in his encounter with God, builds an altar there in Shechem. It becomes a sacred place for him. And then if you, if you know the, the book of Genesis at all, you know that Jacob uh, you know, is uh, Abraham's grandson. And Jacob has a twin brother named Esau, and there's some deception that goes on there, and, and Jacob hightails it back to where grandpa came from. And he works for his uncle Laban uh, for quite some time. But when Jacob comes back to Canaan, when he makes the journey back, he comes to Shechem. And he has an encounter with God. And he builds an altar there. And so Shechem is a, is a sacred place for Jacob as well it is, as it is for Abraham. And in Joshua chapter 24, and likely in view of the altars of these sacred moments in the life of God's people, Joshua is going to call the people of Israel together and, and bring the people to a sacred moment, a, a, an impact moment that, uh, that will define them uh, for, for the next generations. Now, just to kind of put a picture in your mind, I want to put a picture of old Shechem up here on the screen. Uh, this, is, this is a picture taken from Mount Gerizim, which if, remember the story of the Samaritan woman, John chapter 4, where Jesus is at the well? You can see Jacob's well there. That's where that, that conversation would have taken place. You got Mount Ebal on the top left there. Um, some of you have read scripture, know scripture, you know the significance of Mount Ebal. But that's, that's old Shechem, kind of an older picture. Here's a newer, updated picture, uh, recent times. This is what Shechem looks like today. Uh, it, this, this, this place still exists, 
and, um, and this is what it looks like. And this is the area to which Joshua calls the 12 tribes uh, for, for a meeting. And here's what I want to do this morning. I want to highlight the four impact moments from Joshua chapter 24. And then what I want to do is I want to fast forward to today and talk to us about what that could mean for us at the front end of 2014. So four moments and the impact on us as we launch into this this new year. So we're going to dive right in here. I'm going to hit moment number one, Joshua chapter 24, verse 1. If you've got your Bibles, follow along with me. I'm just going to read one verse here to begin. Then Joshua summoned all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, including their elders, leaders, judges, and officers. And so they came and presented themselves to God. I'm going to stop right there because context is important. We're in Shechem. The 12 tribes have sent their leaders to Shechem. They're going to have a leadership summit in Shechem. Joshua, remember, he, he was the one that the leadership baton was passed to from Moses. He's the one that, that, that took the people into the promised land. And the Bible says that Joshua is about to go the way of his ancestors, which is a really nice way to say he's old and about ready to die. Okay, He's, he's coming to the end, and he wants to call all the leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel together in this sacred place for a significant moment before he passes away. So it's a leadership summit. You've got elders, which are informal leaders from the different tribes. You've got, you've got leaders, perhaps uh, elected leaders. You've got judges. These are people who are administering justice. You have officials. These are people who are recording the law and helping enforce justice. You've got all these leaders, and all these leaders are influencers. Now, here's the deal. Joshua is pulling leaders together in moment number one for the purpose of the fact that these these folks are going to go back to their tribes and they are key influencers. And when it comes to leaders, leaders need clarity. They need clarity because the people they're leading need clarity. So what he's doing, good leaders, good leaders take people where they want to go. Great leaders take people where they don't want to go, but they need to go. So Joshua, as a great leader, is going to make certain that there's crystal clear clarity on where God's people are to go. So moment number one, leadership summit. Moment number two, you find in verse two. And here's what's going to happen here. Moment number two is all about clarity on your story. In fact, verses 2 through 12, uh, actually through, through 13, what's going to happen here is Joshua is going to tell the people's story from the call of Abraham. I'll just read a bit of it in verse 2. Joshua said to the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the, the Euphrates River, and they worshipped other gods. But I took your ancestor Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him into the land of Canaan. He's saying, look, we're all together. We're leaders. we had a leadership summit. And the first thing I want to do, moment number two, after we've had this, this moment of, of the leadership summit, moment number two is I want you to be clear on our story. Here's our story. We didn't exist at one time. But God, in his grace, called Abraham out of a land and brought him to this land, to Canaan, and made promises to Abraham about many descendants and about this, this, this land being his. 
And he built an altar. My guess is you could probably see the altar from wherever this was happening. And then he goes on and says, and then Abraham and Sarah in their old age miraculously gave birth to Isaac, the, the, the promised child. And Isaac, he, he, had, he had some kids. He had twins, Jacob and Esau. Esau on one direction, Mount Seir. Jacob, he, he's living in the land. Eventually he has to go down to Egypt because of the famine in the land. And there's quite a story there. He's, he's hitting the highlights here. It's quite a story. Jacob has to go down to Egypt, and, and he goes down there because Joseph is down there, and over 400 years, the Hebrews are eventually enslaved in Egypt. But God, get this, this is our story, God raised up Moses and Aaron, sent them down there. There's plagues, there's Passover, and the people are set free. They're redeemed. And they're going through the Red Sea, and as they're going through the Red Sea, you've got the Egyptians chasing after them. And, and guess what? As they get out the other side, and as the army of Egypt is chasing after them, the sea just, just collapses on the Egyptian army, and the enemy is destroyed. And then you got in the wilderness, and God fed you with the manna. And then there was the, the wandering in the wilderness, and then you crossed the Jordan, and you attacked Jericho, and all I asked you to do was march around the city, and I gave you that city. In fact, I drove out all the enemies... And today, you are here in Shechem, and you, have, you are living in cities. If you, if you read this a little bit later today, Joshua chapter 24, you're living in cities you did not have to build. You just moved in. You're eating from vineyards you did not plant, from olive groves you did not plant. You are being fed. You have shelter, all because of what God has done. This is our narrative. This is our story. Moment number one, leaders, we're together. We're going to be crystal clear on something. We're going to be crystal clear on our narrative, on our story. We are in existence because God called Abraham. And that's moment two. Moment one, leadership summit. Moment two, let's be clear on our story, which then leads us to moment number three. You find it in verse 14. Because we're together, because we're clear in our story, so fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? And then we get this iconic verse. Some of you have this verse. Like it's framed on a wall in your house, or it's by your door. I, I know maybe, maybe it's a tattoo, I, I, whatever. As for me and my family, or, or as it's often understood, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now get this. The people replied, we would never abandon the Lord and serve other gods. For the Lord our God is the one who rescued us and our ancestors from slavery in the land of Egypt. We believe in our story. He performed mighty miracles before our very eyes. As we traveled through the wilderness among our enemies, he preserved us. It was the Lord who drove out the Amorites and the other nations living here in the land. So we too will serve the Lord for he alone is our God. And I love this next part of the story because, man, Joshua's got him right where he wants him, right? But it's me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And so you choose. I mean, choose the Lord. If you don't choose him, just tell me who you're going to choose. Because no choice is a choice. Choose today who you're who you going to serve. And the people are like, oh, you know, God is our God. Give me a G. Give me an O. Give me a D. Yeah, we're serving him. He's the Lord. And then Joshua says this. No, no you can't. 
Then Joshua warned, warned the people. Verse 19. Then Joshua warned the people, You are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy and jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you abandon the Lord and serve other gods, he will turn against you and destroy you, even though he has been so good to you. But the, Lord, but the people answered Joshua, No, we will serve the Lord. Here's what God is saying. Here's what Joshua is saying. Look, we're all together. We're leaders. We're influencers. Let's be crystal clear on something. Once we were not a people, but now we are a people because of God. He called. He delivered. He rescued. He fed. He gave us drink. He drove out enemies. He provided homes and vineyards and olive groves. So here we are. I'm about, about ready to go the way of the fathers. As for me and my house, we're serving the Lord. You today choose who you're going to serve. We choose God. No, no, you can't. Here's why. Because you need to know two things about God. First, he's holy, which means he's set apart. He's completely different. There is no one who is like him. So if you say you're going to serve him, you need to understand that serving him means you are going to image his character to the world, which translated means you have to live a life that is set apart. You need to live a life that's, that's different. You need to live a life that is holy. Not, not in a legalistic, arrogant, self-righteous way, but in a way that images to your neighbor who God is. So if you say you're going to follow him, you need to be crystal clear and understand that what you're saying is because he is holy, I will be holy. And the second thing you need to understand is that he's a jealous God. He's holy. He's set apart. So if you're following him, you need to be set apart. And he's a jealous God. And this is confusing for people because, like, isn't jealousy bad? And how could God be jealous? And can God be jealous? And what, what does that mean? Well, let me explain it for you. Because uh, there is a good jealousy and there's a bad jealousy. Let me just give a little story from, um, from my life. When, when Trina and I were in college and we, and we were dating, and she will tell you that we weren't dating yet, but we were. We were dating. We, we, that she was going to be part of a wedding. And, um, and in preparation for the wedding, this couple who's going to get married, they have this friend who's going to be in the wedding, and they want Trina to be in the wedding, and the, the, Trina and this guy are going to walk down the aisle together. They're, they're in the wedding party. But they decide they're going to put Trina and this guy together and do a, you know, try and get them together and, and ha- do a date to prepare for the wedding. I mean, who does that? And, I, and I'm, you know, I, I know they're, they're going, and I'm just, it's like, it's troubling me. And then they take pictures. They have pictures of, of her sitting around a dinner table with this guy. And then there's, the two of them are standing playing video games. And he's way too close to her. And it's like, back off, get, get away. And no kidding, those pictures are in a photo album in our house. All right, and we were dating. She'll tell you. She'll try and tell you otherwise. Oh no, we weren't. We were. And every time I see that picture of this guy whose name I can't even mention, something is stirred up in me. I, I'm stirred up because in my heart at that time she is going to be my wife. Now we haven't we we haven't gone through a wedding. I haven't even asked for uh, for her hand in marriage. That that whole stuff hasn't happened. So. I don't have exclusive rights to her relationally. But jealousy is rising up, and it, it was, it's not healthy. But the moment that Trina and I got married, guess what happened? Now, 
she has exclusive relationship rights to me, and I have exclusive relationship rights to her. This is a priority above any other human relationships that we have to each other. What Joshua is saying here is, look, if you say you're going to follow God, you need to understand he is holy, which means you have to live a different life, and you need to understand he's a jealous God, which translates into the fact that what you're saying to God is, I give you exclusive relationship rights to me. And he's telling the people, be careful here. You got to make sure you're clear on this because you can't worship idols. You can't give yourself relationally to other false gods and at the same time say, He's my God. Impossible. In fact, if you try and do that, it's viewed as rebellion against God. In fact, God uses the metaphor of marriage often and calls it adultery. It's adultery. So Joshua's warning the people, saying, look, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We, we, have, we have decided on this. But before you guys get all excited and decide that you're going to serve the Lord, you need to understand he's holy and he's jealous. And we pick up the fourth moment. Moment number one, leadership summit. Moment number two, clarity in our story. Moment number three, choose who you're going to serve. Moment number four, Covenant. You are a witness to your own decision, Joshua said. You have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, they replied, we are witnesses to what we have said. All right then, Joshua said, destroy the idols among you and turn your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. Interesting, isn't it? They've come from their tribes. They actually brought idols with them. The idols are among them. Destroy the idols among you. And by the way, idolatry, in our context, you know, for most of us in the room, perhaps you're not bowing down to a carved image. But I, the idols in our lives are anything that we'd, we would sacri- we'd make more sacrifices for than we would for God. It, it can be me. It can be time. It can be money. It can even be other relationships. So, so idolatry looks a little bit different for us, but it's still there. Destroy the idols. Turn your hearts towards God. The people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God. We will obey him alone. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day at Shechem, sacred place, committing them to follow the decrees and regulations of the Lord. Joshua recorded these things in the book of God's instructions. As a reminder of their agreement, he took a huge stone and rolled it beneath the terebinth tree beside the tabernacle of the Lord. Joshua said to all the people, this stone has heard everything the Lord said to us. It will be a witness to testify against you if you go back on your word to God. Then Joshua sent all the people away to their homelands. Moment four, we're going to make a covenant. We're going to roll a huge boulder by this tree, by the tabernacle. And every time you walk by this, because this, this stone has heard, not, you know, not literally heard, but it's been earshot of our entire conversation. And in future days, months, years, generations, when you, when you tribes walk by this stone, this stone is going to ask you the question, do you remember the day that you said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord? It's going to ask you the question. It's going to hold you accountable because you said you would serve him. And Joshua wrote things down and symbolically reminded the people of the covenant at the leadership summit where there was clarity on their story, where they had a choice of who they were going to serve, knowing God is holy and jealous. A covenant was made, and the people of God said, we, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, which brings us to all this. 
Church, we're at the front of a, a new year. And I, I, we are all leaders. You're leaders in your home. You're leaders in ministries. You're, you're leaders in the city. You have influence. Some of you have influence over many people. Some of you have influence just over a few. Every one of us has influence of our own souls. There's self-leadership involved. And we need to be crystal clear on our narrative. We need clarity on our story. And this is our story. Once we were dead in our trespasses. Once you and I, we were cold stone dead, enslaved to our sin, and we had no hope. But God called. God called your name. And God, because of God's great love, he sent his son, Jesus Christ. And there came a day, you can remember the day, for those of you who've put your faith in Christ, you remember the moment of when you gave your life to Christ. And in a, a quickening by the Holy Spirit, you went from cold stone, dead in your trespasses, in your sin, having no life within you. You were quickened by the Spirit, and you were reborn. John chapter 3, you were born again. You suddenly had life, and you had life in Christ, and you had hope, and you had joy, and you have a future, and you were given the gift of eternal life that isn't just somewhere down the road. It's already happening. When you take your last breath on earth, you take your first breath in heaven. You've got a glorious future. Paul says in the book of, of Ephesians that what lies ahead of you and me is, is impossible to even explain because God in the coming ages is going to pour out his incomparable riches of grace upon you. It is going to blow you away. That's our present, that's our reality. This is our story. Once we were not a people, now we are a people. We're sons and daughters. We belong to the high king of heaven. And we have a future. We have a, a wonderful present. And we have a future that will just blow our minds away for eternity. And this is our story. And in light of our story and God's activity in it, you and I need to choose today who we will serve. Are we going to serve the ways of living the, the, the patterns of living that we lived in before we responded to Christ. Because you need to understand something. When you got into this thing, it wasn't a check in a, it wasn't check in a box so you can change destinations. What you were saying is, I am going to live a different life. I'm going to live a holy life. Not a self-righteous, legalistic, arrogant life and call it holy. I'm going to image God to my world. And I understand that he's a jealous God, which means I give him exclusive relationship rights to me. I will not offer myself to other idols. So we're here. We have clarity on our story. And today I'm asking you, the front of a, a new year, who will you serve? And let me just spell this out for us so we've got some understanding. Uh, I'm going to put some points up here, what, what it means for me, what it means to serve the Lord. And by the way, these, this cloth will be up here for the next three weeks. This will be on the back of the bulletin the next couple weeks. So if you want to write these down, great. They'll, they'll be available to you. But here's the first one. Pursue holiness. He's a holy God. So we need to be holy. We need to pursue and live the set-apart life. Second one is simply this. We need to ask for the fullness of the Spirit. It's the baptism of the Spirit. It's the, it's the life of the Spirit that empowers us to live the transformed life. So you and I need God's Spirit, His fullness in us. We've all been sealed by the Spirit, but the reality is we leak. So we, just, we keep filling, keep being filled. Third thing, what I'm, what I'm saying is be faithful in private and public worship. 
I'm asking you to commit to regular patterns of private worship in the secret closet of prayer. I'm not telling you how frequently that needs to happen or how, how, how long you need to pray or how much you need to read. That, that's between you and God and what worship looks like for you. I'm just saying commit to faithful, private, and public worship, meaning this, of being together as family. Because this is important to our, our discipleship. So that's number three. Number four is this. Immerse yourself in scripture. Friends, this is our story. It's all here. People died so that we could have this in our hands. We must be familiar with it. Read it. Understand it. Meditate it. Chew on it like Laura led us through already this morning. Be familiar. Immerse yourself in the story. The fifth thing is this. Commit to community. You are part of a tribe. You were not committed, you were not, you were not converted to be part of an isolated life. You're part of a tribe. And yes, sometimes your tribe is dysfunctional. All right? Sometimes your tribe can be a little bit annoying. And sometimes it can be just flat out beautiful. But you're part of a tribe. You, you don't just belong to yourself. You're part of something, the family of God. Here's, here's a couple more. Love your neighbor. Your neighbor should experience the love of Christ as you live the Christ life and wherever he's planted you. And lastly is practice generosity. God was so generous to his people. He brought them to a land. He gave them homes that they didn't even build, vineyards he planted for them. How could we be a people who, who are just stingy? And you know, by the way, you are such a generous people. This, this one's like to me a no-brainer. But perhaps there's a, there's a few and you just need, you need to, it isn't just, Resource, it's, it's time. Generous with your time. It's gener- a generous spirit. And, and yes, it's, it's giving as, as God puts it on your heart. So what I'm saying is, at the front of a new year, you need to be, let's, let's be clear, we're leaders. Let's be clear in our story. And if you say you're gonna choose to serve God, you need to know he's holy. You need to be, you got, you have to live a different life. Don't, don't say you're following God if you're not committing to walking in his way. You understand he's jealous, so that means exclusive relationship rights belong to him. And then what we're doing this weekend and next weekend and the weekend after is we're inviting you to come and to say, if, if, if it's as for me in my house, I'm putting my name down on this. I, I, I want, I'm putting my name to this. This, this is going to be our boulder. And let me say this to you. Laura and the team are going to come up here and join me on the platform. We're going to continue to lead us in worship. And I'm going to invite you to come from all over this, this, this room. Um, and I'm going to invite you to come put your, put your name on here. But, but hear me on this. Some of you aren't ready to do this. Don't come put your name on, on this cloth because that's what everyone's doing. Some of you, you're ready and you know and you're in and you understand with God it's all or nothing and you... This is, this is a no-brainer for you. For some of you, you need to count the cost. I would say to you, don't come. Pray about this. Make sure that you are, make sure you're convinced on this. Because this cloth will ask you, you remember the day? Remember the moment? As you feel prompted, you just come and grab one of these pens, write your name, write your family's name. You just come, we'll just keep worshiping. Even after we're done singing songs and we close the service, you can keep coming. This thing will be up here all week, next week. Maybe next week it'll be ready. Let's worship a God who is holy and let's express our desire to follow after him.